Good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. Good morning to those of us who are here and those who are watching, whether live or a little bit later. And we're glad to have you here if you're visiting. It's good to see the young ladies back. And so we're we're so glad. By my non-preacher count, I don't know how to do those yet. I count 26 people here today. 26. That may be the highest that I can count and had since uh, I've been uh, speaking here. But hopefully as more and more of us get our shots, getting a vaccine shot, uh, more and more of us will feel more comfortable coming back. I think once more and more of us are vaccinated, there's really a, no uh, real worry to coming back together. We've got plenty of room, plenty of room. So thank you for being here this morning. Uh, the title of today's lesson, God is Disappointed. I will promise you that even though that sounds kind of a downer, I won't let it stay that way. God is disappointed. Uh, there's a reason why I think it's important to, to know and to look at passages as we're going to for some time about God is disappointed because the message of Scripture is that when we choose to live for ourselves, God isn't happy, just to say the least. So I want us to look at that, and it's over and over and over again, passage after passage, tell us that, because we need to understand how our choices impact the relationship we have with God. So let's take a look. Very, very early on, all the way back in Genesis chapter 6, right before the flood, we read, The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. We don't usually think about that, but the Lord's heart was filled with pain because of what mankind and womankind had been doing here on the earth. So the Lord said, I will blight mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Because of the choices that people just like you and me had made, God had decided had it. And only through the preservation of Noah and his family, we are told, is there any life here on the earth again today. Genesis 6. A little bit later, second, uh, 1 Samuel 15, 10 and 11, we read, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. So notice here a specific individual. King Saul has grieved God because, specifically, he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Now, when we understand the image and the, the actuality of God being our father, God being our parent, I think we can perhaps understand how that grief could come to the forefront. Two specific reasons. He has turned away from me and he has not carried out my instructions. I'm skipping ahead, but that can happen today if I do not follow after God, if I turn away from God, or if I do not carry out what God has asked me to do. It can make the Lord grieve, just as it did back in Genesis 6 when God was looking at all of mankind and just as it is here in 1 Samuel 15, when God is looking at King Saul. This is the one that we looked at uh, earlier, 
that uh, Thurl read. Uh, no, that uh, Jeff read, sorry. Jeremiah 2.32. Does or can a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride, or wedding dress? You know, if you ask ladies that have ever been married, there are a lot of things about that day to the, the ladies that they don't ever forget. Uh, if you ask many men, they will tell you probably truthfully that they don't remember much of that day at all. That to a man, it's often kind of a fuzzy blur. We can get uh, Evan to tell us on the record how much of his wedding day he actually remembers. But it's something special and specific to, to a lady. Can a bride forget her wedding dress? That's intended as a rhetorical question here. Of course not. Right? Of course not is the expected answer. Even all the way back 3,600 years, uh, 2,600 years ago when Jeremiah is writing this, 2,600 years ago. But look what God says. If a bride cannot forget her wedding dress, look at the second part of this. Yet my people, my people have forgotten me days without number. You can remember your wedding dress, you can't remember your God. And there is pain behind that statement. Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Can a bride forget? No. Then how can my people forget me? God says here in Jeremiah chapter 2. In Isaiah 17, verses 9 and 11, we read, In that day all will be desolation. Why? Why will there be desolation that Isaiah is foretelling here? You have forgotten God your Savior. You have not remembered the rock, your fortress. Therefore, though you set out the finest plants and plant imported vines, though on the day you set them out, you make them grow, and on the morning when you plant them, you bring them to bud, yet the harvest will be as nothing in the day of disease and incurable pain. Why is this coming to the people of Israel? You have forgotten God your Savior see a common theme between several of these verses? Uh, I certainly do. Back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 13, verses uh, 24 and 25. I will scatter you like chaff driven by the desert wind. This is your lot, the portion I have decreed for you, declares the Lord. Why? Because you have forgotten me and have trusted in false gods. Because you have forgotten me trusted in false gods. You know, most people in our community today really haven't trusted in false gods in the sense of idols. They don't have some kind of a statue over in the corner of their house or apartment or whatever. But in many cases, they have forgotten about God completely. And the only God that is in the forefront of the minds of some, some or many of our neighbors is either the God of money or the God of security or the God of, of the state. Something has displaced God, the real God. And in many cases, some of the troubles that we have individually and that we have collectively as a people are for the same reason that we've been reading about, because we have forgotten the Lord. A couple of chapters later in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18, Verses 14 through 16. Does the snow of Lebanon ever vanish from its rocky slopes? Does its cool waters from distant sources ever cease to flow? Those are intended as rhetorical questions with an answer of no. Of course the snow never completely disappears. Of course 
the waters, the cool waters from distant sources do not cease to flow. And so look what comes afterward. Yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways and in the ancient paths. They have made them walk in bypaths and on roads not built up. Their land will be laid waste, an object of lasting scorn. All who pass by will be appalled and shake their heads. What's the cause of this desolation? What's the cause of this distress that's coming? My people have forgotten me. God is certainly disappointed. And the basic reason so far, the common reason that we're seeing is my people have forgotten me and they have not followed after my instruction. Over in the New Testament, this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 23. He says, personifying the city of Jerusalem, and so it can work that way for any of us collectively here. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. You know, I've seen the little nature shows. They'll show the mama lion or the mama whatever. I mean, any mama, no matter what kind of animal or person, if you see the children running around, they'll often gather those little ones closer and try to keep them safe to show that they are cared for, right? And so here Jesus is essentially speaking of himself as like a mother hen, if you will, wanting to gather the inhabitants of Jerusalem close and to show safety and show love for the inhabitants, the little chicks, if you will, of Jerusalem. And they won't come because they were unwilling to come to Jesus. Jesus had been speaking to them, trying to tell them the message God wants them to hear of loving God and loving their neighbor, but they would not. They were unwilling. John 6, verses 65 through 69. He was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of the disciples withdrew and were not walking with him, with Jesus anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? One of the lowest points of Jesus' life here on the earth. Or even turns to the twelve saying, are you guys going to leave too? I've been saying these truthful things, these things people needed to hear, and most of the people left after the hard sayings here in John 6. And he turns to the 12 and says, are you guys going to? Simon Peter, who often jumps right in and opens his mouth before he thinks, but here this is one of the best things he ever says. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So here Jesus, God walking the earth, is disappointed that so many people turned away and quit following him. But in this case, Peter has the right answer. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? We need to be following God and what God tells us. So yes, God is disappointed when we forget him, when we turn away from him. So my question this morning really is, what, if anything, can we do? If we have disappointed God, if we disappoint God by our choices, if we disappoint God by not listening to him, not following after him, what can we do if we find ourselves in that situation? To answer that, I want to change it now to say God is not disappointed. 
When is God not disappointed? And for most of the rest of this morning's passage, we're going to be looking at one of my favorite sections of Scripture, Luke 15, because this parable, this story that Jesus tells, gives the answer to how God is not disappointed. So let's take a, a, a shorter look here at Luke 15, often called the parable of the prodigal son. Once a man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, give me my share of the property. So his father divided his property between his two sons. Now, this is offensive right out of the gate because you did not go to a living relative, a living father and say, you're essentially dead to me. Divide up what's going to be mine once you die. I'm going to pretend you're already dead. Give me the portion of your stuff that belongs to me. So the people hearing this would have been aghast, would have been just, you don't do this. And yet here's this young boy who has said, Dad, you're essentially walking dead to me already. Divide up what you've got. Give me my share. I'm out of here. Okay? Not long after that, the younger son packed up everything he owned and everything he had been given by his father. Notice his father went ahead and divided up what he had between the two sons. He packed up everything he owned and left for a foreign country where he wasted all of his money in wild living. Shock. Sometimes when we're younger, we make rather foolish choices. We look at the here and now and look at ways we can have a big time party rather than what consequences may come out of that. He wasted everything he had. He spent everything. And then when a bad famine spread through that whole land, soon he had nothing to eat. You know, if you, if you come into any kind of money at all and you spend it all, right, the, the big thing these, this, these days seems to be you look around sports gambling. Hopefully people are not losing all the money they have with the newest thing of it, right, with sports gambling. But when, if we make bad choices, spend, 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 you don't have anything left for the future. Something bad can happen. And here it did to this young boy. Spent everything he had, wasted what he had, and then there was a famine. He started getting hungry started getting hungry in this foreign land. He went to work for a man in that country and the man sent him out to take care of his pigs. And he would have been glad to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him a thing. In the circumstances, Jesus tells this story. Remember, pigs are unclean animals. The Jewish people did not eat anything from pigs. Coming into contact with pigs made you unclean, unsuitable to approach God. And so here's this boy in this foreign country out feeding the pigs. Talk about you know, insult after insult, stepping down lower and lower from where he had been before. He's wasted everything he had after telling his dad, you're essentially dead to me. And when he's run out of everything, there's a famine, he's hungry, and he's sent to feed the pigs. He's sent to feed the pigs. And no one gave him anything. Finally, he came to his senses. The first step coming back to God is to come to your senses, to have one of these head-banging moments to say, oh, I know what I can do. He came to his senses and said, my father's workers have plenty to eat, and here I am starving to death. I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against God in heaven and against you. I'm no longer good enough to be called your son. Treat me like one of the workers. He came to his senses. 
first step back is a realization of where we are and what we can do about it. I'll give you a little hint. God is not disappointed when we come to our senses, when we realize I have royally messed things up and I need to go back. Continuing the story. The younger son got up and started back to his father. And that could not have been an easy choice. He's got to know that he told his father, you're dead to me. What a terrible insult that would have been to his dad. He knows that by going back, he's going to get probably the third degree of some sort, is what we would say today, because he spent everything that had been given to him. He's got nothing left. What a long, hungry journey that had to have been to go back to dad. He started back to his father. When he was still a long way off, okay, I don't know whether that's 100 feet, half a mile, whatever it is, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, stop for a second. His dad had not gone into the far, the far country to smack him upside the head and drag him home, had he? His father had let the son go let the son make the choices that the son wanted to make, but dad had kept an eye on the road, hoping, hoping that the son would come back home. And the father sees him a long way off and felt compassion for him. The love of the father for the son had never left, even though the son himself had he ran to his son and hugged and kissed him. Now here's another thing from the culture in the first century when Jesus is telling this story. Old people did not run. It was considered highly undignified for an old person to ever run. Now it's usually not a good idea for an old person, I don't know what old means, but for an old person to run anyway, right? Because if an old person's running and they fall, that's how you get broken hips, broken legs, whatever it may be. It's probably a good idea to maybe walk a little faster, but the old man's tearing off running down the road when he sees his son on the way home. And he hugs and kisses him. Does he give him the third degree? Why, well, it's about time you came back. I knew it was going to be a... He doesn't do any of that kind of thing. He sees him. He has compassion on him. It's my boy. It's my son. It's my child. And he goes and he gives hugs and kisses to this boy that sometime before had told him, Dad, you're already dead. Give me my portion of your stuff. Give me my portion of your stuff. The son said, the son's had plenty of time to be rehearsing this speech that he said he was going to do. He says, Father, I have sinned against God in heaven and against you. I am no longer good enough to be called your son. Stop right there. He's wrong right here. That what the boy says is flat out wrong. See what he says right here? Look at it. He says, I am no longer good enough to be called your son. It has nothing to do with whether you're good enough, whether I'm good enough. If you are God's child, you are always God's child. It has nothing to do with whether you're good enough or not. You can't be good enough to be God's child. I can't be good enough to be God's child. But once you become a member of God's family, you are always a member of God's family. Once a child of God, you are always a child of God. 
He's off here. He's off track. He says it. He feels it. I know he feels it. I'm not good enough to be called a child of God, but it doesn't matter. He is the son of this man. He will always be the son of this man. So I've got to point out the mistake the young boy has made. But the dad doesn't let him continue with this speech that he's had plenty of time to be rehearsing. But the father said to the servants, hurry and bring the best clothes and put them on him. Give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Get the best calf and prepare it so that we can eat and celebrate. This son of mine was dead. He was as good as dead to me. But now he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. My child was in this foreign country. My child was lost to me. I had no idea if I would ever see him again, but my child came to himself, got up, and went back to his father. He was lost, but now he's found. And the father is unbelievably happy that the child came to himself. Again, the father did not go into the foreign country, did not send out a search party, did not send out some raiding party to go kidnap the son and drag him back home. But he was watching for him, hoping, hoping that the child would come back to him, which the child did. The child came back to his father, and the father is overwhelmed with happiness that the child has come back. Jesus said, in the same way, there is more happiness in heaven because of one sinner who turns to God than over 99 good people who don't need to. I will tell you right now, God has been disappointed in each of us at least once. At least once. If you're a member of God's family, you are covered by grace so long as the direction of your life is headed toward God. You are covered by grace if you're a member of God's family as long as you realize when you make the mistake that I have fallen short and you put your life back on track toward God. If you're not yet a member of God's family, then by turning away from God, the only way you can come to God is to become his child. This only works if you are a member of his family. The way you become a member of God's family is by understanding the condition your own choices have put you in, recognizing you can't fix the problem on your own, and turning around from living for yourself and turning to live for God, come to God and say, I have sinned, I need Jesus, Jesus died for me so that I could live for him, to repent, turn away from the way you've been living and to be immersed in water so that you can have those sins forgiven and be raised to walk in newness of life. So let me tell you, the past does not matter. God does not care what I did, what you did yesterday, what you did at 8.30 this morning. He does not care. He cares what you do right now. Right so God waits for you to return today, just like that father in Luke 15. If you need prayer, if you need to ask for forgiveness, if you need to become a member of God's family, don't let the opportunity of today get away from you. Come to yourself, get up, and come back to God because he's watching for you to come to him. Please, please.
things to consider as together we stand and sing.